If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> we'll be looking at verses 12 through 18 in our time together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. I have six children, as a lot of you know. And I was thinking back, you know when your kids kind of get to that age where you don't have to hire babysitters anymore. It was wonderful. I mean, it was just terrific because prior to that like when I'm out with my wife I'm thinking there's another seven bucks there's another you know what I mean every hour you know my wife's enjoying the moment I'm just thinking like this is costing me more and more money it's wrong I'm just telling you that's the way it was so that day when when we were able to actually fit our oldest my boy and my girl are a year apart you guys are in charge I'd have to pay him a cent it was great great stuff however there was a downside so you're out, and you just call back to check in on how things are going. And so, how's it going, kids? Rachel, Paul, Paul's my oldest, and Rachel, Rachel's not listening to me. Well, put her on the phone. Honey, honey, why aren't you listening to Paul? Well, he's making bad decisions, and Matthew is taunting us. Put Matthew on the phone, too. You know what I mean, right? And as a parent, you know, I'm going through, like, each one. Now, you stop that. I'm going to be home soon. And... God is there even though I'm not. That didn't work much, but I tried it. You know, I tried anything I could come up with, you know. And, and, but I would say to them again and again, stop fighting and work it out together. Because I'm coming. You're a parent, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so we, we've all kind of been there. It's not exactly like that. But it's something like that when you come to this text. Paul has not seen this group, the Philippians, for four years. He's been two years in a prison in Caesarea and two years in a prison in Rome. So he's four years removed. And so he is absent from them. He loves them. He's like the parent. But he also has concerns because there's um, some tension at home. And so he writes to them saying, this is how I want you to live, whether I'm there or not. And what he tells them in this passage is, don't fight, work it out. So all I want to do is I want to work through what Paul says to them. And most importantly, I want to see why is it that he tells us to do this? All right? Something like a parent, not exactly, but that's the dynamic. So listen to what he says. It's powerful stuff, folks, because if Paul was living today, sitting in prison, he'd say the same thing to us. So look at what he says. Verse 12. So then, my beloved, he loves them. Paul loves these Philippians. Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here it is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, he says work it out together. Now, I want to talk about that verse for a little, a second, because we don't want to misunderstand that. Let me tell you what Paul is not saying. Don't get this one wrong. It's the difference between heaven and hell. It's like really important. Paul does not say, work for your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? 
Because if that's what it meant, then it would mean like my life is this. I have no idea where I'm going to go after I die. I'm just trying to do the best I can. I live in constant fear and one day just hope and pray that maybe God will let me into heaven. That's the last thing Paul is saying in this text. All you have to read, do is read the book, find out that's not the case. So he's not saying work for your salvation. Be a total misreading. He's saying work out your salvation. It is something that they already have. Paul is saying, I want you to think of the glories of what you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been justified. You, because you've trusted in Christ, in one moment God has said, righteous. Can you believe that, folks? Do you know Doug Finkbeiner is a righteous man? What do you mean by that? I mean by that there was a time when God declared me righteous through the blood of his son. And you too, if you know him as your Lord and Savior. Paul says, you have been justified. You have been forgiven. You have been adopted into the family of God. There is so much privilege that has come to you. And it has come to all of us as a group. And what I want you to do is not being about bickering and complaining and those kinds of things. I want you guys to work together. And I want you to work out the ramifications of your salvation in the way that you actually live. Do you know one day in heaven, we are going to be this perfect community of faith, aren't we? I, I mean, like, we're never going to make a mistake. We're never going to sin. It's not, like, unbelievable. When you think of the fact that we're going to be glorified one day, I remember as a kid, when I was about, I got saved when I was young, and I remember I had this fear as a young teenager. Like, what happens if I get to heaven, I'm there about three weeks, and I sin? <laughs> I mean, God's going to kick me out. Because they think, Bonnie, you're out of here, man. Well, I, I know. I felt like, how am I going to hold out for a million years? Like, I didn't know how to do that. We will because we'll be transformed by him, won't we? Paul says, in between this idea that you have been justified, positionally transformed and made the people of God, declared, in this time period when you will live that out perfectly as a redeemed people in heaven. You live here practically, don't you? We're positionally righteous. We're going to be perfectly righteous one day. We got to get all that. Problem is we live now. And Paul says, in light of the way you will be, in light of who you are in Jesus Christ, I want you as a community of faith to work out the ramifications of your salvation in all of your relationships with one another. You speak of forgiveness. Do you extend it? You speak of grace. Do you give it? You speak of patience. Do you grant it? Do you see? I don't know all the dynamics that are going on with the Philippians. It, it's, it's hard to say, but I, I, can, I, can I do a little bit of guesswork? I don't know exactly. But perhaps, with this separation from Paul for some four years, perhaps 
Some in the Philippian church are beginning to wonder whether this Christian life thing is a real good deal. The guy they love has been in jail. They're feeling pressure from the world around them. Why isn't God like changing this stuff? Why, why are we suffering? Isn't he the almighty, powerful God? Like, what's going on? You, you, you see what I'm saying? And, and after all, my brother and sister in Christ, sometimes they're a pain in the neck. So in the midst of the pressure, separation from Paul, tension in the church, people are responding in ways where they're griping and complaining some. I get that. Don't you get that? I mean, that makes total sense to me. We, we can do that, right? For a host of different reasons. We do the same thing. And Paul says, my beloved, the ones I deeply love, think of the gospel, your salvation, the God who has saved you and is transforming you and will one day glorify you. Work out all the ramifications of that in the way you live. He says, do it with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean you go around all the time. Going, I mean, that's not the point. But you do it with great sobriety. Seriousness. Why should the chapel be deeply concerned that we work out in all of our relationships the ramifications of the gospel. In a serious way that says like, wow. You know why? Look at what he says in the next verse. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his pleasure. You know what he says? You know why the chapel should not just be a place that you come once a week? But it should be a people that you are throughout the week. It's because the living God is among us. God has invested in us. For God, God is the one who is working in you. And, and, and the word in can sometimes be translated among. So is it talking about he's working in me as an individual or among us as a group? Or is the answer yes? It's all that. Think about the temple imagery that Paul will often use. The temple of God sometimes, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 6, the temple of God is you as a person, as an individual. Do you know that? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you are the temple of God. That's awesome, folks. You mean that holy place that was special where, mm-hmm. But you know what else he says in 1 Corinthians 3? We are the temple of God. Well, is it me or we? Mm-hmm. It's all that. And Paul says, why do we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Why do we bring the ramifications of the gospel to bear in all of our relationships? Why? Because God is here among us. Take it serious. He has a desire and a will. And he is actively in work, at work in our lives as individuals and as a group so that we might desire the right things, 
and do the right things. The Christian life was never meant to be living solo, was it? Did you ever hear that um, expression? God helps those who help themselves. Just so you know, that's not from the Bible. Is the Christian life, God will help Doug Finkbeiner if Doug Finkbeiner helps himself. The Christian life, Doug, is you cranking it out on your own. Is that how you live the Christian life? No way. Here's another slogan. Let go and let God. Which for a lot of people means just wait around long enough until you have the feeling and then go for it. And I can wait forever. (laughs) And so could you. The Bible says the Christian life is about recognizing that the true and living God is already at work among us through His Spirit. We can never crank out the Christian life on our own. He is here. He is at work. What we do is we we submit to it, we yield to it, so that his pleasure by his power becomes a reality in both what we want and in what we do. Does that make sense? Do you think of the chapel that way? Is a chapel a place or a people? We're, we're building a building, you know. I mean, I mean we, it's built, I'm sorry. But we're redoing a building. Isn't that going to be the chapel? Mm-mm. That's going to be a really nice place. We just happen to be using it. I'm glad God's giving it to us. But don't ever forget, folks, that we are the chapel right here. You can put us anywhere and we're still the chapel. We are the people of God. And God says, I want you to live in such a way that you work it out together. Because God is here. Empowering you from the inside out both to want the right things and to do the right things. Will you yield to that? That's powerful stuff. Look at the other reason he tells us. So I would say this. Why is it that we should work it out together? First reason is because God himself is invested among us. That's pretty powerful. But there's a second reason. Picks up there in verse 14 and following. Look how the verse, remember on the one hand he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now he's going to give it the second side. Just like with my kids, I call them on the phone. I said, look guys, I want you to work this out and stop your fighting. Paul does the same thing. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And look what he says here in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Does anything bug you about the chapel? <laughs> we won't ask for testimonies, though. <laughs> it's inevitable, right? You get more than one person together, you're going to have issues. This idea of grumbling and disputing, not always, but often in Scripture, it's the difference between talking about you behind your back and talking wrongly to you in front of your face. 
right? You ever find your kids doing that? Give my kids some really strong orders about what I want them to do. I walk in the other room and I hear this. Did you guys say something? <laughs> you know what I mean? I know they did. But, you know, they're kind of grumbling amongst themselves behind my back. You know, you, you have to deal with that, of course. But there's other times as they get older, they get a little bit bolder. No. You know, right? I mean, and, and, and we end up doing the same kind of thing if we're not really careful. If I shift into neutral and just do what comes naturally, I'll complain about things and about people. That's, that's, it's just, that's, that's who we are. There's all, I mean, you can look around. There's always, it's, it's too hot. It's too cold. It's too this. It's too that. It's too loud. It's too quiet. It's too, you can just go on and on. It's too long. It's too short. Right? I mean, we go all, all kinds of stuff. Right? And what Paul does is, Paul, and, and this is really important. This doesn't mean that you should um, avoid those issues. It's how you handle those issues and what is most important as you talk about those issues. Did you see the difference? If, if, if the agenda is Doug Finkbeiner's agenda, and not the gospel and the centrality of the gospel. Because that's what we're here for. To work out the gospel together. If it's not that, but it's my agenda, I'm going to complain about you. I don't like the way you act sometimes. I don't like what you say. I'm going to talk to Tim about you. <laughs> or... I'm an upfront guy. I'm going to tell it to you the way it is, and you can take it or lump it. Leave it or lump it. Leave it or lump it. There you go. I knew it was something like that. You know, it's good to have you up here. I mean, it works out good. Okay, anyway, but, but, but you see what I'm saying? It is, it is so easy, folks, if we lose center. I mean, what I'd love my children to say when they were younger is, hey, hey, guys, gather together. We are Finkbeiners. And Finkbeiners stand together. I don't know about you, man. It was really hard for me to get my kids to buy into that one. <laughs> you know, but, but, but isn't that what Paul's saying? We're the people of God. God is here in us, among us. So that we might live out the gospel in all of our relationships, particularly with one another. So, don't, complain and gripe like those Israelites did so often in the Old Testament. Be the people of God. Well, why, Paul? Well, God is here. That's true. So God has invested himself in us. But God also wants to be seen through us. Look what he goes on to say in verse 15. That you may prove yourselves to be blameless Innocent, children of God, above reproach. Wow, that's, pretty, that's a lot of stuff there, isn't it? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. You know what the word of life is, folks? It's the gospel. Because... 
The only place that there is life is in Jesus Christ. And what he says is, the tendency is if you begin to live for the complaining and bickering and those kinds of things, you can always find something. If you're new here at the chapel, let me tell you something. You can always find things wrong here. Mark it down. Just come up and meet me, okay? I mean, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. But we are a people who hold fast to the thing that matters most, which is the word of life through Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. And whatever else we do, everything, do you see that? Everything I do is centered on that. What other hope can I give the world around us? So we have the CareNet ministry. Lynn, I love this ministry, that, this prayer ministry. I, I, wasn't that great? Do young women in our community need direction in the area of sexuality. When the Bible says we live in a crooked and perverse generation, you ever drive behind somebody that was drunk? I mean, I I have. I've had people coming the other direction thinking like, man, if he's not drunk, there's something wrong. Come right over to my spot and I'd had to go around the other way. That's a scary thing, isn't it, when you're driving a car. You're driving a car and you're like, stay on your side. We live in a world that needs a GPS. They don't even know where they're supposed to go. They just go. And we have a GPS that tells us exactly how to get somewhere. And Paul says, If we can't live out the gospel in our relationships, we will never be a testimony to the world around us that needs people with the GPS that can say, that's how life is to be lived. Do you see? It's a crooked and perverse place, and they need men and women that are not perfect, but men and women that are learning to live under the grace of God and love one another, not perfectly, but progressively better all the time, so that the world can say, How do you become part of that thing? Because I can't do that. I don't have direction. I don't have meaning. I don't know where to go. But here is a group of people that are focused. So he uses the image of straightness in in the midst of crookedness. He uses the image of light in the midst of darkness. I remember years ago, I was a youth pastor and I took 90 junior hires up to it was in the fall time we went up to this outside barn where a guy had turned the whole thing into a huge maze you know it's a little bit of a nightmare taking 90 junior hires there because there's no way you keep an eye on all of them yeah you know so you got all your leaders it's that in itself but anyway and I remember going in there and we went in there at night when it was like nine or ten o'clock at night and, and you got into that barn, and it was absolutely pitch black. And he had built into it all kinds of mazes where you'd get stuck in a place, and you'd have to backtrack and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was just so much fun. But I remember there would be times when we were kind of like little rats, you know. We, we'd be running around. We'd get, get in this one room, and nobody could, you know, we're reaching around to find, there's got to be a hole to get out of here. And all of a sudden, they told us, Don't, no flashlights, no flashlights. Well, somebody always brings a flashlight. Somebody picks out a flashlight whoa, there's the whole, and we're gone, you know? And I I like being with the guy with the flashlight, personally. (laughs) 
But isn't that the way of the world around us? They don't know how to get out. They don't know where the opening is. And what they need is a community of faith that so lives the gospel, they preach the gospel, yes, but they live the gospel. That we become a light to a world who doesn't know where to go. That's what God wants to do among us, folks. Brothers and sisters, do you see how serious this is? This is not something we play on Sundays. This is something we are. That we live out. Paul says, work out your own salvation. All the ramifications, work them out in your relationship. Because God is here. And because God wants to use you as a light to show forth his glory to a world who desperately needs to see that light. Paul goes on to say this in verse 16. So that in the day of Christ, I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul's running from a distance. He says, I love you guys. I love you guys. And one day, I want to stand in glory and be able to say, the people that I've invested all this life in, my time and energy in, all chose to glorify you. And we are here together in your presence, rejoicing that we have done that together. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Paul says, the main reason you should do it is not for me. God's at work in you. Show him off. That's what it's all about. But I have to tell you, Paul says, it'll be great and glory to be together and saying, it was great to be part of this together. Investing in you, you investing in me, giving and seeing God work. Be a glorious time, won't it? Or it should be. And that kind of makes Paul think in verse 17 and 18. Because he knows something. He knows he is sitting in a prison because of the gospel. He knows he hasn't seen them for four years because of the gospel. He knows some of them are upset that they haven't seen him for several years. And Paul wants them to know that he has no regrets over what he's done. Look what he says in 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Really? What's he saying? You know, in the Old Testament, you read Numbers 28, they would often have, they would have these daily sacrifices, right? Twice a day. And with the sacrifice of the lamb, it w- wasn't unusual to have what they call a drink offering where somebody would actually come out, the priest would actually come out, and he'd actually pour wine on the ground in conjunction with that actual sacrifice. And once that wine is poured out, guess what? It's gone. I mean, nobody's collecting that wine. It's gone. Paul says, it's kind of like the way it is between the Philippians and me. 
Paul says, your whole life is a sacrifice of faith and service to God. That, that's, that's what a Christian's supposed to be about, right? We, we give and we sacrifice, and God, we serve you. It is an expression of our faith. And Paul says, as you are living out your faith and sacrifice to God, I am very, very happy if my whole life is poured out in service to yours. You know what he's saying? I'm willing to die that you might grow in your relationship with Christ. And Paul says, not only am I willing, it makes me rejoice. What are you, a masochist? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, is the gospel so central that all of life is about the gospel? We can make life about so many other things, folks. I love sports, but sports are not the gospel. I love my family. I love my wife more than anybody else on this earth, humanly. But the gospel is more central than my family. I love what I do at work. I love, I love, I love working at Lancaster Bible College. Love it. But it's not what's most important. And it's easy for me to take other things and make them center stage. And God says you keep the gospel central. And when you do, Paul says, even if I have to die, because the same imagery of, this, of, of being poured out, Paul will use for his death in 2 Timothy when he says, I'm ready to die. I'm going to die soon. He was. Nero's going to, his head, he's gone. That's true. Not here, several years from now. But, but Paul says, I am willing now because the gospel is central, I am willing to be poured out so that you might know God and grow in your relationship with him. And Paul says, I hope you will feel the same way about me. I hope you will rejoice that you can give your all for the one who has loved you in service to others and that your main word there is not gripe and complain but joyful privilege. Now, the only way we can do that is if the gospel is central. Does that make sense? Paul's very practical. Paul's a realist. <laughs> he knows we gripe and complain about all kinds of things. Politics in particular, but anyway. I mean, we all, right? I mean, it's all kind. But, but do I want politics become central in my life? I will become a basket case then, for sure. <laughs> no, I'm a citizen. I'm a father. I'm a worker. I'm, I'm a whole bunch of things. But at the core is the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not with you right now. I know it's been four years. but I want you to work it out together. I want you to be the people of God. Because God himself is here empowering us and working for his glory. And I want you to do that rather than griping and complaining because God wants to be seen through us in a world that 
desperately needs to see the truth. Brothers and sisters, will you commit to be part of that kind of a church? Let's pray. Father, we read the scriptures and it's very convicting. Lord, I'm supposed to be preaching on this and I'm thinking about my own agendas. The things which drive me, the things which concern me, the things that affect my relationship with other believers in Christ. Would you anchor us afresh to the glorious gospel, the wonders of our salvation? Would you, through your spirit, enable us, enliven us to be men and women who seek to live out all the ramifications of our salvation and our relationships with one another? Lord, that'll look a little bit different for each one, but Lord, it will be something powerful in each one of us. And Father, for any friends and family members that are with us here today who have never entered the family of God, they have never personally received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to know the freedom of forgiveness by His death alone. May this be the day that they come into the family of God so they can join us in making a difference in a world that so desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Lord, for wanting to be glorified through us. May we respond. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.